ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name is Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. Now, if you buy fresh produce and it goes beyond its use-by date, do you keep eating it or do you put it in the bin? Today, you'll learn about some groups who are pushing to have expiry dates scrapped. Our hope is that some of those best-before dates will be removed from fresh produce so that people are able to exercise their own common sense about whether, whether fresh produce is good to eat or not. Also today, a look at stingless bees near Darwin and if there is a chance of commercialising their delicious and very healthy honey. And before 1.30 today on the Country Hour, a lesson on why it's important to have a clean vehicle before heading out bush. Look for all the places that weeds can be caught. Um, rather than just cleaning the car, we want to make sure we are not got any organic matter. This is all coming up on today's Country Hour. Let's get amongst it. We are broadcasting right across the Territory on the ABC, streaming online. And g'day there if you are tuning in via the podcast. First up today... Let's talk about the live export trade out of Darwin because it's on track to be one of the bigger Decembers that the trade has seen. There's already been three cattle ships leave Darwin this month. There's another four of them due out in the next week or so. Patrick Underwood, he's the managing director of the export company Australian Cattle Enterprises. He's been busy organising cattle this morning and says everyone in the trade is flat out. It's all systems go is how I'd describe it. Just a really, really busy time of the year. Traditionally it's busy because there's a lot of floodplain cattle coming off. And then what was unusual this year is the market bottom price-wise very late. So there's been a little bit of an upturn in price, but predominantly it's, it's the lowest price of the year. So you've got the lowest price of the year, floodplain cattle coming off, and then there's LeBaron in, in Indonesia. So they're, they're sort of wanting cattle in December, January for cattle to be um, sold at those festivals in March, April. So all systems go. You mentioned price. What is it roughly at the moment for feeder steers? It's about $2.70, so two weeks ago it was $2.60, so that, that's the upturn. But that's the upturn that would normally come in any given year in, I guess, June, July, August. Sort of, as, you know, traditionally as you see the price lowers for the first half of the year with supply increasing after the wet season, and as those numbers tighten up, um, you know, price increases. But the thing is this year that the, the supply didn't tighten based on the fact that it was fairly dry in eastern Australia. And a lot of people were, were just selling selling cattle. So for, for once, for like, from the live export side, we could we could take cattle out of Townsville, Darwin, um, you know, Broome, Wyndham, and, and Fremantle were, were all operating to live export. So and and reasonably subdued demand. Like I think we all expected when those prices came right back, the demand would pick up, you know, quickly, and the numbers would increase. But but really, that's only just translating through now back to those, you know, what we started talking about was really. Busy December period. And what's your take on, on why demand hasn't been super strong out of Indonesia? I just think two or three years of, of, of high prices um, and then there was issues around FMD last year with FMD-affected products. So a lot of those cattle in Indonesia were, um, were slaughtered, um, processed on the fact that they are 
you know, either had FMD or, or suspected of. So there's a lot of emergency slaughters up there. Indian buffalo meats continued in there. So I've got no doubt the Australian live cattle lost ground against against other protein alternatives up there, and it's going to take some time um, at these new pricing levels to, to sort of claw some of that market share back. And I think we're starting to see that now with with the, with the current prices that you know the, the demand has picked up. One of the big stories in the live export trade in the second half of this year has been about cattle getting rejected because of skin blemishes. Now, there's cattle coming off the floodplains at the moment. What's that, what's that current situation like? Yes, yeah, so it's been a really tricky one for the industry. Um, there's still, Indonesia has still, uh, well, really it's the Australian government that, that, that polices or regulates, I should, I should say, the, um, you know, what's, what could go on ships. But, but really the skin blemish has been a, a really difficult one because I think it's sort of a grey area. Um, the government are referring to, to ASIL regulations, but, uh, but you know our interpretation of ASIL is certainly that, that a lot of those animals, particularly at this stage with with, with fly bites, it's a, you know it's not contagious, it's not infectious, it's 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 an insect bite, you know should be able to go. Um, so the government, while they say they're sort of relaxing their enforcement of it, don't don't seem to be on a, on a regular basis, and we do in fact have. Um, significant numbers of cattle still not eligible for export out of northern Australia. You know, the, the, the floodplain cattle coming up have sort of had, had mixed results mm. depending on sort of where they are. Uh, it was pretty late wet season, so I think the flies arrived late. But, you know, some of these some of these animals that are not eligible for export, are, you know, don't even have active fly bites but have scarring from from, from previous um, issues with, with, with flies. So, it's, it's still a tricky one, Matt. Right, so those rejections are still happening. What becomes of floodplain cattle if they can't get onto a boat because of a skin blemish? I think one thing with the Queensland market's really picked up since it's rained there. So, you know, for, fortunately for the industry, the, uh, the, the the domestic market, you know, it's lifted its rates, prices down. It'll still be a significant discount. Diesel's expensive, and it's a long way to send them back into Queensland. But I think you'll find a lot of those cattle go back in, into there at a, at a significant discount. Probably, we're probably talking, you know, thirty to fifty cent discount to, to send them back to Queensland. So look, it's a, it's a big hit for a, for a producer who, um, you know, has already had significantly lower cattle prices than they would have anticipated, and probably significantly higher interest rates and other costs. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's certainly a difficult one. So the industry just sort of waits and waits for that issue to be resolved. Have you got any deadlines, anything on the horizon on when this won't be an issue for exporters like yourself? Just for the time being, there's you know there's not a lot of options. But you know, I, I, I can speak from someone who's a who runs an export business but owns cattle on the floodplain, and it's not um, it's yeah it's, it's it's not something that we sort of expected or anticipated early and considering i think it's, it's probably four or five months old now that the, you know that the the skin blemish thing started so yeah. it's, it's disappointing that it's that there, well there isn't a resolution i guess is what we're yeah. you know, saying that how are you feeling about 2024 when it comes to live cattle exports uh look i think there should be some more stability so the the one thing that's happened in the last and I, i'd say it's 14 months is just a continual um, correction in the cattle price. So there's been basically from November last year to November 2023, there's been a, a pro, you know a cattle price that's basically consistently fallen out. I can't remember in my memory, uh, you know, a period where it's 
where it's fallen consistently for that long. So, um, it, and you know, it's, it's not easy to for producers. Obviously, don't like the falling market. It's not easy for an exporter to sell with the falling market either, because our customers are always expecting lower prices, and sometimes they're getting them. And so, you know, yeah. So, I think this year we're going to obviously start at a you know, let's call it high two dollar um, feeder price in, in January. I think next year there'll be the, the supply of cattle will still be there. But I think it's just a lot, a lot more stable year with price, I think. And price stability is very good. It's just easier for planning and budgets. It doesn't matter who it's for. Um, so I certainly don't expect the cattle price to continue to fall into 2024. Um, I think generally speaking, most industry experts have got you know, the market, the market firming a little bit. And we don't, we, you know, from a live export perspective, we don't want to send, you know, I don't, I'd hate to see prices go screaming back up to the previous levels because we're only just getting these, you know this new market price, and 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 our some of our customers are starting to make some money, I believe, which is a good thing and really important for the sustainability of the industry. So lots of cattle going out this month, and a little bit of buffalo as well. Is that right, Patrick? Yeah, that's right, Matt. There's actually um, two consignments of buffalo. Um, I think both with sort of five hundred in, so two two exporters, and and, and we're one of them, um, ascending buffalo. So. The numbers have been right down this year. It's it's a bit unfortunate, but I, there's you know, a number of reasons. But the main one being that, that the cattle price is falling, buffalo suddenly become more expensive. But it's really good that the last there's, there's been buffalo stacked up um, in the north, looking for uh, you know a shipment. Um, and the fact that a thousand are going out this week, a thousand plus out of Darwin, will be really important to the buffalo guys. And that ties in with the rum jungle, who I believe are completing. Um, their, their their final processing of the year uh, in the next week to ten days. So they're tidying up the loose ends with uh, the buffalo for the abattoir, and then shipping will take another thousand. So at least that's a good date finish for the buffalo guys for the year. Well, I know you've got to get back to it. Thanks so much for your time on the country hour. That's okay. No worries, Matt. All the best, everyone. Yeah, big thanks to Patrick Underwood. He's from Australian Cattle Enterprises. Now, I've been told that the Darwin Port's on track to export anywhere between sort of 35,000, maybe over 40,000 head of cattle this month if all goes to plan. If that happens, historically, that would be a very, very busy December for the trade. I've got some stats here from the Darwin Port. It says in November there was a bit over 12,000 head of cattle exported in October bit over 13,000 head of cattle were exported. So that gives you a sense on just how how busy December is turning out to be. The year for the trade, ending with a wet sail, although as you heard, still those challenges with the skin blemishes. How busy is it? Well, my favourite quote of the week still belongs to Kelly White at Bridge Creek Station. Did you hear this the other day? December has ramped right up. <laughs> My brother said the other day, there's four sleeps till Christmas, and that's about how it feels. <laughs> As in, that's how much work needs to be done. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's, um, it's really good. They're so busy, there's only four sleeps to Christmas. Love it. G'day, I'm Lisa Pepper, and I'm in here at Darwin Port, where we're currently in the process of loading a couple of thousand head onto the Grayman Express for live export. And thanks for listening to the Country Hour. It is 19 to 1. This is the Country Hour. Celebrity crocodile wrangler Matt Wright has been committed to stand trial in the Northern Territory Supreme Court 
I'm joined this afternoon by Max Rowley. What can you tell us, Max? Yeah, Matt, Matt Wright appeared in the Darwin local court this morning where it was heard that he will stand trial in the Supreme Court on a charge of attempting to pervert the course of justice. Now, this charge relates to alleged events following a helicopter crash which killed his friend and television co-star Chris Willow-Wilson in 2022. Wright was not present at the time of that crash and has strenuously denied all of the allegations against him. He also faces a string of other charges, including fabricating and destroying evidence, those charges, they'll be heard in the Darwin Local Court in June next year. And Matt Wright wasn't the only person in court this morning regarding that crash. Yeah, that's right. Michael Burbage, a helicopter pilot employed by Matt Wright's company, Helibrook, was also in court and he pleaded guilty to a charge of destroying evidence. Now, just to be clear, he was not piloting the helicopter that crashed. And there were a few other charges against him, including attempting to pervert the course of justice, fabricating evidence and making a false declaration. Those charges have been withdrawn. Former, Meanwhile, former NT police officer Neil Mellon has been charged with attempting to pervert the course of justice, destroying evidence and making a false declaration in relation to the alleged events following the crash. His matter will be heard in the Darwin Local Court later today and you can follow any updates with this case online on the ABC News website, Matt. Yeah, thank you for keeping us up to date, Max. And indeed, on the ABC News website right now, you can read about this. The headline reads, Celebrity Crocodile Wrangler Matt Wright to stand trial on charge related to fatal helicopter crash. G'day, my name's John Lyon and I work with compost in the Northern Territory to help farmers improve their soils. Compost and mulches are absolutely essential to good farming in hot climates like ours. And you're listening to the Country Hour. (laughs) It is 10 to 1 on a Thursday lunchtime. Let's talk about expiry dates on fresh produce. I'm interested. If you go to the supermarket this afternoon and buy, say, a bag of spinach leaves, if it goes past its expiry date, do you just keep eating the spinach or do you bin it? Do you just throw it straight in the bin? Or do you ignore the expiry date altogether and just run your own race? 0487991057 is our text number. I am intrigued. In an effort to reduce food waste in Australia, there's now some groups trying to convince regulators and supermarkets to bin the use-by dates on products, as Lucy Cooper reports. How big of a problem is food waste in Australia? It's about a 30, just over $36 billion problem every year. So we waste about 7.6 million tonnes of food every year. So that's about, it's like filling the MCG about 10 times. That's Mark Barthel. He's the COO of End Food Waste Australia, an organisation which works with industry from primary producers through to consumers to reduce the amount of food lost or wasted in Australia. Food waste in supermarkets and homes occur due to a number of factors. Product damage, you've got produce that goes past its expiry date stock rotation issues, short shelf life deliveries. And then there's the classic change in the weather. So the weather forecast might be great. They might buy in a whole load of salad stuff for barbecues. 
the weather changes and they're left with a whole load of surplus stock that they can't necessarily get rid of. One of the factors mentioned by Mr Barthel was produce that goes past its expiry date. So that's either the use-by date or best-before date. He reckons the removal of best-before dates would have a significant impact in reducing food waste. Our hope is that some of those best-before dates will be removed from fresh produce so that People are able to exercise their own common sense about whether whether fresh produce is good to eat or not. In Australia, the Food Safety Regulator, Food Standards Australia and New Zealand, oversees the framework for best before and use by dates. First introduced in Australia in the 1970s, the dates and respected definitions set the standard for food safety in supermarkets. Here's a quick refresher on what their definitions are. Foods that must be eaten before a certain time for health and safety reasons should be marked with a used-by date. Foods should not be eaten after the used-by date and can't be legally sold after this date because they may pose a health or safety risk. Most foods have a best-before date. You can still eat foods for a while after the best-before date as they should be safe but may have lost some quality. Foods that have a best-before date can be legally sold after that date, provided the food is fit for human consumption. In a statement to the ABC, Food Standards Australia and New Zealand said that the regulator had no plans to change the best-before or used-by date marking requirements in the Food Standards Code. But Mr Barthel hopes this will change. In the UK, where I come from, a lot of best-before dates have been stripped off of fresh produce Um, And a lot more focus has been put into providing advice to consumers around how to store that fruit and veg properly. There have been some conversations with the supermarkets to to go down that European route. Um, And I I think maybe in the not-too-distant future, some of them will look at that. They're aware of the research that's been done in Europe. So let's turn our minds to overseas, where, as Mark Barthel mentioned, best-before dates have been removed. Claire Nella is the Asia-Pacific Executive Director of RAP, a not-for-profit headquartered in the UK. We're really here to create the shift to a circular economy and we focus mainly on products, so the stuff that we use every day um, and the three main areas that we work in are food, plastics and textiles um, because we thought, why do one really hard thing when you can do three all at the same time? RAP has been working alongside End Food Waste Australia on a project with Food Standards Australia and New Zealand to change the interpretation of the current suite of rules regarding dates. The work that RAP has done in the UK really demonstrated that um, a lot of food was being wasted in people's homes because of date labelling. So that mostly that people didn't really understand what the difference is between a best before date and a use by date. So What RAP in the UK has done, essentially that kind of consumer research which says people are not really understanding these, how do we address that? So one mechanism is to make your date labelling more consistent and we absolutely need to do that here in Australia because it's very inconsistent. You sometimes find products with both dates on, you'll find the same product, one with a use-by, one with a best-before, etc. And so in the UK, there are many products now that, don't have a date on at all. So this is where there's no food safety issue, but also we want to encourage people to use their senses to determine whether or not something is going to be good to eat. And a really good example of that is milk. So in most supermarkets in the UK now, you will not find a best before date on milk because 
you can use your senses to quite easily check whether or not that milk is still good to use and there's no food safety implication from accidentally taking a mouthful of off milk. As these organisations continue to call for the removal of best before dates in Australia in hopes it will address food waste at one end of the supply chain, there's also discussion at the other end, begging the question, do farmers produce too much food in Australia? Here's Mark Barthel from End Food Waste Australia again. 22% of all food lost or wasted in Australia, which is around 1.7 million tonnes of food, doesn't currently make it past the farm gate. So it's not harvested, it's ploughed back in or it's disposed of on farm in some way. There will always be periods of oversupply or gluts because nature and growing conditions are inherently variable. You can't do anything about that. There are also situations where farmers will grow more produce to ensure that they can achieve the contract volumes and quality required with their customers. But Mark Barthel said also looking to Europe, there is potential solutions for this, something not yet seen on home soil. There are, in other countries, situations where whole crop purchase is used. So a customer will buy the whole of the crop and the grade A, the, the really good stuff, will sit in the you know the supermarket aisle or, or be presented to a restaurant kitchen. The grade B might go into uh, pies, pizzas, things like that. And the grade C could be in soups, sauces, juices, smoothies, that sort of thing. It requires a more sophisticated approach to procurement, but it can generate situations where you've got much more food security and food supply and more of the crop being utilised, which will also mean the farmer gets a better payday. That is Mark Bartell, who's the Chief Operating Officer of End Food Waste Australia, speaking there to Lucy Cooper. You can read more about this story up on the ABC Rural website right now. And I'm intrigued to hear from you this afternoon. These expiry dates, do you follow them as rules? Do you see them more as a guideline? Are you ignoring it completely? Uh, on the text, Jack and Larakia says, Matt, regarding use-by dates, the only minor advantage of having them is possibly that if the product is nearing its end of date, us consumers usually get a good discount on it. However, I'm sure that the use-by dates also cause huge food wastage. It's totally unnecessary, I reckon, says Jack on 0487 our local foodie, Max Rowley, is in the studio. Max, use by dates. Do you follow them? Yeah, look, uh, I think when I'm at the shops and, and looking at what to buy, uh, you definitely notice the use by dates. And I'll often, you know, pick something. If I look at the, uh, a bottle of milk or, or some spinach leaves and notice, oh, well, I get two more days out of this one. So that's where I'd pay more attention to it, I think. Once it's back at home, it's more about the sniff test for I, me. Yeah, for me, I, I feel... So intelligent when I go to, say, the spinach, and you just go back a few yep, rows, yep. and you find one that's got a few more days on it, and I just feel like I've tricked the system. We've all done I've it. I've tricked We've the system. Uh, Rod on the text says, unfortunately, there are many, many folk who have grown up learning not how to use their eyeballs, their nose, and their touch. But you've got to question the science, says Rod, when there's use-by dates on water, salt, and honey. Is there seriously use-by dates on water? Water? I haven't seen it myself. Oh, my but goodness. Oh, my go. God. You're right. Rod says there's a cracker of a comedy skit regarding use-by dates on bottled water. R- Rod, that is a ripper of a tip. Can... Max, can you go and find it? I think that? I've yeah. Let's go and find it. Got to head it. down to, to the supermarket. F- find it. 
Um, and Tim in Inverell Bay says, G'day, Matt. Uh, the speaker in that radio story nailed it with the words, Exercise your common sense, says Tim. Yeah, but Tim, the thing about common sense, it's not that common. G'day, I'm Jermaine. G'day, I'm Caleb. And we're from Territory Bees. We're out here in Darwin's rural area attending to some hives and you're listening to The Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. In a moment, a look at stingless bees near Darwin and if there's a chance of commercialising their delicious and very healthy honey. And before 1.30, a lesson today on why it's important to have a clean vehicle before heading out bush. Look for all the places that weeds can be caught. Um, rather than just cleaning the car, we want to make sure we are not got any organic matter. Yep, it's important stuff. Is the ABC, the national broadcaster, doing the right thing? I'll let an expert flip the bonnet on one of the Prados out here in the ABC car park. <laughs> Pressure's on, ABC. I hope they pass the test. And we've been talking about expiry dates <laughs> and hearing from you. So the story before one o'clock, if you didn't miss it, is there's a few groups pushing for regulators and for supermarkets to bin expiry dates on fresh produce, just get rid of those dates and let people make their own decisions. And the idea is this would reduce the amount of food waste in Australia. Uh, someone here on the text says, I had to laugh at the 12-month use-by date that was on Himalayan rock salt that was claiming to be 200,000 years old. <laughs> it's 200,000 years old, but make sure you use it by March. <laughs> I like that. And uh, we've been made aware of a funny comedy skit regarding the use-by date on bottled water. We're doing our best to track that down. I do like the sound of that. Got a text here from someone who says they've got expiry dates on bottled water because it's usually due to the plastic bottle and the chemicals used to make it. The expiry date is when it starts to break down and leak into the water, says someone here on 0487 If we go to the Weather Bureau, Sally Cutter is there this afternoon. Sally, do you pay much attention to the use-by dates on fresh produce? Uh, it depends. The yogurts are not... Since I asked my sister, so I was putting them in the kids' lunches, she said, oh, it's just soft milk, so I'm not so worried about use-by dates within reason. But best before, so depending on what it is, if it's for more than one or two years, I'll probably ditch it. Yeah. I was saying to um, producer Max earlier on, for me, I'm just a big fan of just... Having a having a chew, having a bit of a smell if it has gone past that expiry date, and if it's tasting fine, I'm I'm happy to go for it. But I think as a parent, I, whilst I'm willing to to you know run the gauntlet and get amongst it, I if I think about it, I've I've been unwilling to give that to my children. I think yes, that's yeah, it's what I. It's what I've been doing. So I'll choose down on the stuff that's over the expiry date, but I've found myself, for whatever reason, not giving it to the kids. So, mm, Yeah, I've, I've done that when I've cleaned out my mother's pantry because she doesn't use it and some stuff sitting there for a long time because she's fairly she's, she's getting on in years. But you don't want her eating stuff that maybe passes best. Yep. 
Oh, Tim in Inverell Bay, he's gone with exercise your common sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the weather. There's a range of things happening at the moment. Um, unfortunately, we are starting to see some dry lightning in parts of the Barkley and the Tenamai, which has created some fires. And uh, there's a few to the north of Tennant Creek at the moment. What are conditions like in those regions for those who are out there trying to put these fires out? Well, at the moment, there's sort of south of the top end, there's two storms, one near Tennant Creek, one near Tea Tree. The, as far as the temperatures go, it's it's almost tropical around Tea Tree. It's sort of a, a really good wet season, bad dry season day around Tea Tree. Tennant Creek is a little bit drier there, but yeah, it, it's a uh, it's it's hot. So, T, or Alice Rings is 30, nearly 39, Yulara is 41, Tennant Creek 35, 36 degrees. It's so it's certainly hot out there, and with that little bit more moisture in the atmosphere than you'd usually be mm. through that area, be used to. It's going, and if you're out working in that heat, you, you you're going to be pretty hot. Yeah. Okay, so that's not particularly good news then, is it, for those who are out there fighting fires? And, yeah, there's no. large ones on Banker Banker Station um, and some of those cattle stations in the top end that kind of border onto that Tanami country. Um, yeah, quite a bit of flame around this afternoon, yeah. which is not good. Um, one thing that can put out a fire is rain, lots of it. Yeah. Uh, what is the forecast? Yeah. Well, we, we do have a heat wave warning mainly for us around more of the southern parts at the moment. The, that's going to change as the rain and the trough comes through. But in the last yeah, in, in the last 24 hours, the the rain has been some pretty good rainfall. Victoria River Downs had 20 millimetres, Lagoon 22, 23 at Saddle Creek, 45 out at Warrawee. Owen Pally had 40 millimetres. The Tennant Creek ended up with 6 millimetres from a storm. Ali Karungbore, 12 millimetres. There was some, some largish, t- Mount Bundy North had 52 millimetres. The Haywood Creek, 40, 44 d- down at Bachelor. So there's been some pretty good falls out there. What's going to happen is northerly winds are going to develop through the Territory and bring those storms or bring that humidity right the way through. We've also got a bit of a trough that's going to help things or not help things, depending on your point of view. The looking at heavy rainfall through the Simpson tomorrow, maybe up into the Tanami, and then as we go into Saturday, that heavy rain's going to continue, maybe get into the Simpson, but mainly in the Tanami and, and Leicester districts. So the Leicester today, maybe Tanami, then Simpson, sorry, and Leicester and Tanami tomorrow, and might even see some gustiness in that. Mm-hmm. We do have a trough coming through on Saturday, so that's going to cool things down. We could see fairly substantial drops to tomorrow, so maybe 6 to 10 millimetres. Sunday, a little bit further north, to 4 to 10, sorry, 10 degrees, we're talking temperatures here, yes, 6 yes. to 10 tomorrow. So, And then we are going to see a bit of cooling as it moves northwards, but it's going to be a little tricky to clear because the middle-level trough just sort of hangs back. There, some dry air does get wrapped around the low that's forming over the, the bite, but generally we're going to have struggled to get to proper clearance out from the south. We may may get some just from the dry air wrapping around, but there's certainly going to be that risk for a few days to, mm. after that trough goes through. Okay, and uh, just finally, the cyclone that's well, well off the Queensland coast at the moment, what's the latest? 
Uh, it's still well off the Queensland coast. It's uh, Category 3. It's going, moving to south-southwest at the moment, but will turn west, and it's going to head towards the Queensland coast. There's a bit of variability in in how fast it's moving. Some of the guidance still keeps it fairly slow moving. Mm. Others move it much quicker. So it's, it's at the moment, it's a wait and see. But, yep. so any, but so I, I know there's high. a lot of um, cane growers and banana growers that are, yep. are getting nervous, and rightly so. Oh, yeah, right, rightly so. Somewhere north of Mackay, it's, it's, it's unlikely to cross south of Mackay, yep. but north of Mackay is sort of in the firing line, unfortunately. So it's really just a case of making sure that you keep an ear out for what's happening and just to keep up to date. No watches or warnings have been issued yet, so it's more than 48 hours off the coast. Yep. So take, take a little while, but now's the time to start getting prepared. Thanks for your time, Sally. That's okay. G'day, my name's Trevor Derling. I work for Power and Water and you're listening to The Country Hour. And did you know that Darwin is home to five native stingless bee species? Five of them. And they produce some very unique and very healthy honey. Now, you can't buy honey from these native bees at your local supermarket yet, but there are people working towards changing that in the near future. Victoria Ellis joined a group having a look and a taste of two of these native bees' honey. Very unusual flavour with a bit of tartness to it, but it's really nice. Oh, it's sweet, and then it's like vinegar, and almost a bit like a child's medicine. My name is Barry Condy, and I, I'm interested and involved in at Darwin's Stingless Bees. And you've got some native stingless bees here, and we've just had a sample of their honey. Can you tell me why the honey is some of the healthiest honey? Yeah, okay. The reason why the honey is the healthiest honey, it's got, they put their honey in uh, grape-sized cells of propolis, which is a mixture of wax and resin from plants. So you get the benefits, all the benefits of the resin from plants. Plus the other thing is the bees actually convert sucrose from flowers to an unusual sugar called treulose, which has got an extremely low glycemic index, doesn't affect diabetes, diabetes, um, and it doesn't cause tooth decay. That's only, that was found out in samples tested at the University of Queensland, samples from Australia, Malaysia and Brazil. And what's the name of these stingless bees or the ones that produce that honey? Okay, the, um, both bees here I've got are the genus is Tetragonula. The most common one in Darwin is Tetragonula melipes. That's over the 95% of the bees in the greater Darwin area. And it's a very gentle bee. It's a nice little gentle bee. This other one here is Tetragonula, used to be Hockensai. Now poor thing is nameless. And it's a very quite an aggressive bee. That's one of the t- ways you can tell the difference between the two. And both of those bees produce that healthy both, honey? Both produce that healthy honey, yes. They kind of look a little bit like tiny little flies. They, they don't have like you know any black and yellow stripes that you'd expect to see on a bee. Yeah, that's correct. The only one that really has the black and yellow stripes is a queen she, because she's larger and stretches and she, she's got those stripes. But these ones are black like little flies, yes. And you can tell the difference between flies that got two wings, these have got four wings, if you look closely. How much else do we know about these type of stingless bees? Because if I was buying honey on the shelf, this is not the sort of honey that I would buy, even though it is the healthiest. We don't know as much 
as about the honeybees because the honey bees have been studied for hundreds of years. These have only been studied in Australia for the last perhaps 10 to 50 years. So it's a way behind the honeybees. Um, they, were, they were the only bees in, in Mexico and Brazil and they knew a lot about them there and we're rediscovering some of the things there. But some of the things in honeybees are similar here and so we're sort of learning more about them, like the, the sugars, that was only a discovery in 2020. So in the next 10, 20 years, how much more development in this space of stingless bees do you think we'll see? Oh, an incredible amount of space. These, that, these hives are the hives we're developing in Darwin now. When I came into the, these, there was only about maybe five to ten people involved with stingless bees. Now we've got a, a group the Australian Native Bee Association, NT branch, and we've got hundreds of people involved, hundreds of people know. Every workshop I do, more and more, more, more and more people know about the bees. And how long do you think it will be until I can go buy a pot of honey f- from these bees and uh, not have to worry about my teeth decaying? Well, the, it'll probably be um, within five years, two to five years. Um, that honey is very expensive because... Honeybees produce 50 to 75 kilograms per hive per year. These bees, the best they'll do around about Brisbane is one kilogram. These bees will produce about 100, 100 um, grams in one of these small colonies, but I left, if I let the colony grow bigger, it will eventually produce about one kilogram. How concerned are you about pests like varroa mite and uh, American fowl brood or you know a disease how concerned are you about those things in terms of impacting the bees well we're not concerned about varroa mite for these bees because we're concerned about the honeybees for varroa mite because the varroa mite won't fit on these bees that makes it, these bees resistant because they just don't fit on it's too small to, to fit on oh that's good and American fowl brood um we're trying to keep on top of that to make sure it doesn't come in yet. I'm trying to keep biosecurity wise. Northern Territory's got extremely good surveillance and biosecurity. Yeah. That is Barry Condy, who is a native bee researcher, speaking to Victoria Ellis. I wonder what the use by date would be on a jar of native bee honey. On the text zero four eight seven double nine one oh five seven got a a picture here. A picture here from Alan Humpty Doo. It's a picture of his rooster called Bob. And Al says, Bob the rooster got pretty close to his use-by date at 4.30 this morning. <laughs> Bob getting a bit loud out there in the rural area. Is he, Al? Zero four eight seven double nine one zero five seven. We've been talking about expiry dates on the Country Hour today. Do you pay attention to them? Or do you run your own race? There's groups out there now pushing to have expiry dates binned. And I've been getting your thoughts on that this afternoon. We got uh, a tip from Rod earlier on about how there's expiry dates now on bottled water. And there's a comedy sketch about it online. We've found it. Water is served in bottles now. (laughs) And all these bottles, they have the best before date. <laughs> printed on the bottle. The best before that. This water has circulated the earth for four billion years. <laughs> but now it's ruined. Water that's been around for four billion years, but now 
it is ruined. Well, make sure you at least drink it by March. It's 20 past one on the country hour. Now, up next, we are going to be talking about vehicle hygiene and why it's crucial in making sure weeds and pests don't spread around the Territory. ABC Sports coverage of Test Cricket returns. What about that? Unbelievable. The Sound of Summer. Drives beautifully through extra cover for four. Hear it live and ad-free. Now there's some power there. That's the big appeal. And the finger eventually goes up. Australia v Pakistan. December 14. Right here on your radio, ABC Sport Digital. And take it with you on the ABC Listen app. If you're tuning in, this is the Country Hour, and we're out and about with James Gorry from Train Safe NT, and we're about to lift the bonnet on an ABC vehicle. But before we do that, James, just remind our audience Train Safe NT, what does your organisation do? Uh, train Safe NT does a lot of training for ranger groups, pastoralists, people in the agricultural sector and NT government and smaller agencies. But we're mostly just training people in chemical use, chainsaws, weed hygiene. At the moment, there's a big focus on vehicle hygiene. So just keeping vehicles clean so we're not spreading biohazards, uh, soil diseases or weeds. Yeah, the vehicle hygiene course. What's involved in it? Uh, basically, we want to inspect all of our vehicles to make sure we haven't got any soil, any weeds or cane toads or any animals or anything that we don't want to spread around the countryside. You could imagine if you've just driven onto a farm uh, where there may have been, say, Panama disease for bananas, you don't want to then drive down the road to another farm and spread the disease, or you don't want to spread weeds around. And it's quite easy to spread weeds around, so we want to learn how to inspect vehicles, uh, look under the under the bonnet and look for all the places that weeds can be caught um, rather than just cleaning the car we want to make sure we're not got any organic matter so i've brought along one of the abc vehicles here today which i hope is looking okay let's just pop the bonnet here all right james let's just um i guess get a bit of an idea on, on what people can be on the lookout for Okay, so we've just lifted the bonnet of a, um, of a Toyota. So one of the first things we want to do is just have a quick overall look under the car and make sure there's no leaves, organic matter, um, and especially your electricals. Have a look over at the electricals, more so on the right-hand side, where we've got the fuse box and the relays and so on. We don't want any ants. Ants are attracted to, to electricals, such as fuse boxes, um, and we don't want any ants. We don't want any fire ant or browsing ant or Argentine ant. So if you see any ants, probably best if you get out the um, a bit of uh, insecticide, spray them just with a can of, say, Mortine or so. Um, and we don't want to be moving ants around. And it's very easy to move to move ants because they're so small and they're pretty tough. As in, you can lift the bonnet of your car and you see all these ants and you think the hot engine would have cooked them, uh, but it hasn't. So first thing you want to do is make sure you've got no ants or insects on your electrical. Uh, Which I think today we're looking pretty good on the ABC vehicle. Good, yeah. good, good. Yeah, I can't see any ants over there, but you'd be surprised. Sometimes you, you park up against the hibiscus and it's covered in um, uh, mealy bug or sooty mould, and then you can see the ants going up and down. If it's pushed up against the bull bar, uh, you can have your ants pouring in. That's what I noticed on one car park. 
Uh, then the next thing we want to do is have a look at our air filter. Now, if you've got a snorkel and your snorkel's facing forward, you'll catch everything. You'll catch all the seed that's in the air. You'll catch insects. You'll catch birds. Uh, you'll catch everything because it can just hit the snorkel and go down the snorkel and end up in your, in your air filter. So I'll just open this air filter now. So I've just opened the top of the air filter, taken the air filter out, and you can see in the air box, it's pretty clean, this one. There's a few insects. So you can see here we've got a few insects. We've got a little bit of dirt. Uh, but overall, it's pretty clean. Um, what I like to do is I actually like to vacuum out the bottom of the air box just to make sure there's nothing in there. But I have found... Uh, previously a pigeon in there so, so, so the snorkel didn't have a cover they hit the pigeon the pigeon ended up there um, and I have found lizards frogs lots of insects all sorts of seed mission grass gamber grass all sorts you can imagine if you got a, if you're driving along the highway and you got that snorkel it's gonna catch a lot of uh, debris floating through the air so this one's pretty clean not too bad um, but if you do find any seed in your air filter, if uh, your air box, if you can vacuum it out, if not, um, if you can just grab a plastic bag with your hand, clean it up and sort of take it into a plastic bag. Yep. And, and just on the importance of doing this, I saw a slide the other day on the spread of gamba grass in the Northern Territory and there was a bunch of little infestations popping up in Arnhem Land and they were essentially all along the road. Which, what does that say to you, James Gorey? Yes, wherever you get vehicle movement, you're probably going to get weeds. Wherever you get human movement, you'll probably get weeds. And really, you want to inspect your vehicle, clean it before you leave Darwin. So if you're going Arnhem Land, you know you're not taking any weeds out there. Um, and if you're in any sense, if you know you're going to go to sensitive areas that are very weed-free or pretty, I suppose, clean areas, make sure you inspect your vehicle prior to going. But vehicles and humans will spread lots of weeds quite easily. Anything else we need to be checking today before the ABC vehicle moves on to the next job? Uh, I would have a look under the car, make sure you've got no mud. And, and on the outside of the car, it looks nice and clean. And you can see the car looks pretty clean. We can't see any mud. But until you climb under, especially wheel arches and the chassis, get under there, have a good look. And if you see mud... Uh, I would start hosing it off. Do it always back at your base camp and get under there. We don't want any mud. Could be anything in that mud. Could be bacteria and so on. Um, and also your radiator. Your radiator will catch lots of mission grass because it floats around gamba grass and so on. And it's a real hard one because if, if it all goes into the radiator, eventually it can build up. And then at some point you'll have to go to the mechanic, get your radiator cleaned, and it could start a fire. But I have found some radiators. I've got some great photos of these radiators just full of mission grass. Um, and it's quite difficult to clean. But then if you can find your car, get it cleaned before you go anywhere. Of all the training that you do, what's some of the big light bulb moments you notice from, from people in the course? Uh, when you tell them to look in their radiator... They're quite shocked. Sometimes there's lots of birds, there's lots of weed. Uh, they're pretty shocked. And when you tell them to look in there, when they climb under the car, most people don't climb under cars. They don't want to climb under the car. But when they climb under the car and look up and they go, oh, there's all this mud on the chassis or there's all this, all this build-up of dirt, um, that's when they, they realise that their car's not actually very clean. Thanks for showing this, this today. Really appreciate it. No problem, Matt. Thank you. Yeah.
Big thanks to James Gorey from Train Safe NT, and I'm very pleased that the ABC vehicle pass, the hygiene test, would have got pretty embarrassing if the thing was riddled with gamba seed or something. <laughs> so a big thanks to James Gorey. Now, just quickly, I guess this is a public service announcement. In your diary, put down 5.30pm tomorrow for the penultimate episode of the tinny. Tales from the tinny. If I'm a barramundi and I've got a full moon like I have at the moment, I'm going to be smacking fish left, right, centre. We've been making a lot of video reels of all the fish we've been catching on our pre-fishes. To intimidate them, you mean? 100%. Let them know we're catching fish. Yeah, they're scared of us. Subscribe to the podcast. But in 20 years, we've never chucked each other out the boat. And let that be the measure. You're going to have to battle with the sharks down there as well. Or catch it from 5.30 Friday on ABC Radio Darwin. I can't believe it. The second last episode of Tales from the Tinny. It's on tomorrow at 5.30. Of course, if you miss it, you can always download the podcast. And for Tinny fans, you're invited to the Darwin Ski Club on Friday afternoon for a final frothy and a waffle. That'll be good fun there at the Ski Club. Uh, It kicks off at 3.30pm, but it will go till late, I am sure. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow for Friday's Country Hour. Keep it rural.